0: Good morning. Uh, The reading of God's word this morning comes from Exodus 19, verses 1 through 6. In the Pew Bible, that's page 60. In the following Jesus Bible, that is page 75. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is the word of the Lord.
1: this time, anybody would like their children to go to Children's Church? You can go over there. And for the rest of us, let us now go to the Lord in prayer together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that as we dive into your word this morning, that the word would pierce our hearts. Father, it would convict us of sin and remind us of the goodness of your grace that we have in Jesus. Father, I pray that you would bless our time. Be with us as we study your word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm excited to uh, be with you all here today at Faith Presbyterian. And let me just say that I and everyone at New Covenant and Mandible, we are so thankful for this congregation. And we do pray for you guys. We pray for you guys all the time. And one of the things that we uh, pray for you is that you would fulfill our mutual calling from God, which is to be a light to the nations. So one of the most fun things as a pastor is when uh, a pastor from another church goes out of town and asks you to preach and says, Preach on whatever you want. And that's what Jason did with me. So let me tell you why I wanted to preach from this text today. This text has been heavy on my mind as of late because I think the church as a whole is a bit confused as to what our identity and our mission is right now. You know, if you're a nerd like me and you keep up with global church news, then you know that many churches and entire denominations uh, currently seem to be at a breaking point. So There's a lot of infighting going on in the body of Christ and in the U.S. and not just in the United States, but in the rest of the world. Now, just in case you don't follow church news very closely, let, let me just give you an update on some things that have been going on. So, last June... Uh, The Southern Baptist Convention, which is the largest uh, Protestant denomination in the United States, they met for their annual convention, and the meeting was uh, tumultuous, to say the least. It was not a very good meeting. Many church leaders in the SBC, uh, they left with a bad taste in their mouth. And because of this, many churches are threatening to leave that denomination, and already have. And we're expecting to see a number of churches... uh, leave in the next couple of years from that denomination. But that's not just a Baptist thing. The PCA, one of our sister denominations, and the largest conservative Presbyterian body in America, they met last June also. And many churches are threatening to leave that denomination because the leaders of the denomination cannot seem to agree on several issues. But this isn't just a Protestant thing. So many Roman Catholics, for example, are not happy with the current pope And some more traditional Catholics even say it's time for a complete change in the leadership of the Roman Church. To which I always joke, hey, we took care of this 500 years ago, so just come over to us and you'll be happier. But I digress. Um, But, you know, this is not just a uh, Catholic or Protestant thing either. Many don't know about this one, but the Eastern Orthodox Church, which is the second largest church body in the world behind the Roman Catholic Church, it's having some of these same issues. So the Russian Orthodox Church, which makes up about 50% of all Eastern Orthodox believers in the world, they broke communion with the rest of the Orthodox churches in 2018. So many historians actually say that this is the biggest schism in Christian history since the Protestant Reformation. So what is going on? You know why all this turmoil amongst believers? You know, there seems to be kind of a war within much of the the global church body right now. And we should all know this is not the way that it's supposed to be. You know, we are supposed to be united. We are supposed to be one unified body under the head, which is Jesus Christ. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3 that we are to have, quote, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Paul says something similar in Philippians. He says to complete his joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. So I ask again, how did the church get to where it is now? How did we become so divided? And let me just say, this is nothing new. Uh, This is a problem that's been happening in the church since its very beginning. And there have been times in church history where the church is more unified and times when division happens. So it's important for us to recognize the reasons why the church goes through these times of division. And I believe, and this is what I hope to convince you of today, I believe that there are two main causes for churches coming to a time of division. So the first cause for division happens when the church forgets its identity. happens when it forgets its identity. And the second cause happens when the church forgets its calling or its mission. So identity and then calling and mission. Now here's the twist, though. Identity and calling are one and the same. They always go hand in hand. So think about this. If you are born a man or you're born a woman, that is part of your identity, and it also has a specific calling or mission attached to it. So there are things men can do that women can't do, and there are things that women can do that men can't do. And because of that, each gender carries with it different missions and tasks that are attached to the identity of male and female. It's the same when you are born into a specific family. Your identity as a member of a particular family has a calling attached to it. Part of your identity as a member of a family is you are to carry on the traditions and values of said family. So you are expected to live into the calling placed upon you at birth Because of the last name that you bear. It is part of who you are. It's the same for being a citizen of a country. As Americans, for example, we are expected to uphold and obey the laws that our country has given us to follow. So if you identify as an American, then there is a calling and a mission on your life that you must uphold. So if you were a citizen of another country, then your mission and identity would be different than it is here. So calling and mission... Go hand in hand. Now, if I were to ask you which passages in the Bible tell us what our calling as Christians is, I'm sure most of you would rightly quote Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. So, this is what it says Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Now, it is right and good. ...that we focus on this passage as part of our mission. I don't think there's a Christian church in the world that would disagree with that. But I would argue that the Great Commission is the third step in our missional plan given to us from God. So there are three main passages in the Bible which describe a mission plan for God's people. I think where churches often go wrong is we, we neglect the first two steps... And we tend to focus on this last one here. But the thing is, you can't just focus on one part of God's mission. You must focus on the whole mission. So if the Great Commission is the third part of our calling and our mission, then what are the first two? Well, if we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, we see God's original mission and calling calling, given to Adam and Eve in verse 28. It It says, And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's Genesis 1 28. So we see here that even before the fall of man in Genesis 3, God gave Adam and Eve an identity and a mission. He created them in his image. They were imagers of Yahweh, that was their identity. And then he blessed them and gave them the mission of being fruitful and subduing and having dominion over the earth to the glory of God. So this is the first part of our three-part mission that God has given to all of us. Now, the second part of our mission is what our text today is over. And I would argue this is the one that is the most often neglected. And it's a shame because if we could grasp the meaning of this passage here from Exodus, then... It would take care of so much confusion in the church when it comes to both our identity and our mission. So, in our passage, God calls Moses to tell the Israelites who they are and what their calling as his people will be. First, God tells Moses to remind them that it is him who rescued them out of Egypt and out of the bondage of slavery. He then tells the Israelites that they must obey his commandments. Now, I want to talk about what obeying the commandments means for a moment because we often read these passages through kind of modern, modern eyes because, you know, that's all we know. That's all we know. We only have our own perception of things. So on the surface, you know, we can only interpret passages through our modern eyes. But to have a better understanding of this passage, we need to kind of put our, uh, our ancient Near Eastern uh, glasses on for a second. So in this world, this world was quite different from ours in many ways. And one of the main differences in this world, the, the ancient Near Eastern world, is that everyone had a god or multiple gods that they worshipped. So the Egyptians who enslaved the Israelites had many gods that they worshipped. And when God rescued the Israelites out of slavery, God sent plagues. Now, I don't know about you, but up until a few years ago... I always thought the plagues were, uh, were just kind of random and weird. I, I didn't really understand the significance of them. It seemed like God was being a little dramatic and using a bunch of you know, weird tactics to show his power. But when I did a deeper study into the plagues, I found that each plague was meant to mock one of the gods of Egypt. is wasn't that Interesting. So these plagues were not random at all. Each one had a specific purpose for mocking a specific Egyptian god. Now I'll give you one quick example. The Egyptian god Seth was the protector of the crops. So when Yahweh, our god, the one true god, sent locusts to destroy the crops, he was mocking the Egyptians' belief in Seth and simultaneously proving that he was the sovereign god over their crops. Now, why am I telling you all this? You know, what does this have to do with our text? Well, every God in the ancient Near Eastern world had rules and laws their worshipers had to follow to prove their loyalty. And so when God tells the Israelites that they must keep his commandments, it's not a salvation issue, which is how we normally read it. But it was an identity issue. It was an identity issue. So keeping the commandments of God was how the Israelites showed their covenant loyalty to Yahweh, their God. It's how they proved to others and knew for themselves that they were Yahweh's people. So this is, this is actually the same for us today. We don't earn God's love or earn our salvation through the keeping of the commandments. But keeping the commandments is how we show our covenant loyalty to God. Following God's commandments is how we show the world that we are Christians. It's also part of how we can have assurance that we have salvation. You know, We find this idea in the New Testament. Jesus puts it most plainly. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Then he goes on to say, by this we can be sure that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now, John also starts his letter off by reminding us that if we say we have no sin, we call Jesus a liar and we need to make a regular habit of confessing our sins to be cleansed from unrighteousness. So again, the keeping of the commandments was not a salvation issue, but an identity issue. So here's one of the marks of a Christian. Do you desire to keep God's commandments? If you do you are a Christian, and if you don't, you're not. You can call yourself a Christian all day long, but if you have no desire to follow Jesus by keeping his commandments, you most likely aren't a Christian. Now, I do want to preface this. Do we keep these commandments perfectly? Absolutely not. We do not keep the commandments perfectly. But the good news is that Jesus did. And when he sacrificed himself on the cross, he not only paid the penalty for our sins, but he gave us his perfect record of righteousness. So Again, it has never been about keeping the commandments perfectly. God says we must keep his commandments, showing our covenant loyalty to him. And then he says that he will make us a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, this is the key part of our passage today. It's the key part that we must understand. And we must understand it to not only bring unity inside of the church, but to also properly understand our own identity as God's people and to carry out the mission he has given us. Let's break this down. So the priestly part first. Let's go over that one. What does it mean to be a kingdom of priests? Well, a priest is someone who is called to intercede between God and man. A priest brings the presence of God to the people under his care. In a sense, a priest is someone who did the work of uniting God and man. This is why Jesus is now called our great high priest. So Israel's calling, what they were called to do, was to pursue the nations, to subdue and have dominion over them by telling them about God and then showing them the way to be united back to Yahweh. Priests were called to teach people about God, to teach people how to live by his commandments. Priests were also called to care for the poor, be with the sick. They were called to be with the least of these. That's what it means to be priestly. Now, what does it mean to be holy? You know, the most common answer to that question is to be holy means to be set apart. And that is a correct answer. But I would argue that it's not a complete answer Because it doesn't tell you what you're being set apart for. So a better answer is this. To be holy means to be set apart and consecrated to God. To be holy means to be set apart and consecrated to God. Now the last part there, I I would argue, is the most important part. To be holy means that you are not your own anymore, but you have been baptized out of the world and into the kingdom of God through the blood of Jesus and now submit everything to Him. And live as he has called you to live. So it's logical that the Ten Commandments come right after this chapter. Again, God gives them an identity and then he gives them a mission. They are God's chosen people, consecrated to him. And now they are tasked with reaching the nations and teaching them how to live as God designed human beings to live in a way that glorifies him let's go back to our original question. How do churches fail to understand this part of our mission and our identity? Well, they fail usually by focusing on one part of our identity and mission while neglecting the other. They fail by focusing on one part of our identity while neglecting the other. So, for example, some churches do a great job of being priestly, but they neglect to pursue holiness. And on the opposite side, there are churches that focus too much on pursuing holiness and neglect to be priestly. But you see, we cannot have an identity without a mission. And our identity is God's kingdom of priests, and our mission is to bring everyone into His holy nation. We are called to be holy priests who teach people how to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So, when God saves you and makes you a new creation, He does so because He loves you, but He also does so because He wants you to subdue and have dominion over the entire world by bringing people out of sin and darkness and into His kingdom. But so when a church neglects to be priestly and focuses too heavily on holiness, it is usually filled with people who are very, you know, very biblically literate, very passionate about living righteously. These types of people love to discuss theology. They love to gather with the body of Christ regularly. They're usually very passionate about beautiful worship and singing. They're very passionate about everyone in the congregation deeply knowing the scriptures. Which, these are all really good things. But they can sometimes too be cold, wrath-filled, and legalistic. I don't know if you've Experience this, but when we focus too much on being holy, what we end up doing is comparing ourselves to everyone else to make sure that we are measuring up. And this always creates two types of people or two scenarios. The first person recognizes all of his failures and sin, so he becomes downtrodden and depressed because it seems everyone else around him is perfect and he is not. And then you have the second person the second person becomes puffed up with pride because he thinks that he is living up to God's standards and that no one takes the faith as seriously as him. And what usually happens is the second person will run the first person out the door. Now, the opposite of this is the church that focuses too much on being priestly, but they neglect the holiness that they are called to. These types of churches are usually the ones who are really passionate about good works, doing good things. They are passionate about you know, all sorts of different mercy ministries and care for the poor, different source, sorts of social issues, which, which again, this is all good. It's all a good thing. But, but what tends to happen is they also go completely against the commandments of Jesus. They end up following the surrounding culture instead of following the word of God. They call what is good evil and what is evil good. They end up approving of things that God would call an abomination. But you know, they're usually really passionate about helping people. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is God does care about how we live our lives. He does demand that we keep his commandments, not because it has anything to do with our salvation, but because it is how we show our covenant loyalty to him. This is how we show that we are Yahweh's and not anyone else's. This is why the most common analogy that God uses to describe his relationship to Israel is a marriage. Because in a marriage, you show your covenant loyalty to your spouse by doing things with them that you do not do with anyone else. There's a special covenant relationship there. And let me just say let me just say something that might sound weird. Being priestly And doing good things, it it, it really means nothing if it isn't done from a heart that worships God. And that's because God is the one who defines what good is. So if the people in a church forget that it is not them who defines what is good and right, then they will eventually begin doing evil because they have no standard to define what good works are. This is why we have so many churches that depart from the teachings of Scripture and end up doing evil. So where does all of this leave us? Well, this leaves us with the same identity and mission that the Israelites were given in our passage. We are still called to be a nation of holy priests. We find this in the New Testament. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. We are to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. But you know, the difference between us and Israel is Israel did not have the same amount of light shining as we do. The Israelites had a dimmer version of the light because God had not been fully revealed to them. But he has been fully revealed to us. Jesus is perfectly holy. He is perfectly priestly. Jesus wasn't ashamed of the commandments of God. He loved the law of God and he wasn't afraid to break the rules of the holy ones in his day. He was perfectly holy and perfectly priestly. May we seek to be the same as our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that we... As your church, as your people, the people who you have called out of darkness and into light, that we would take seriously our calling as a nation of holy priests. We are called to love, love the lost world, to show it what hol- to show the lost world what holiness means by living according to your word, according to your commandments, and also loving and caring for them. Father, I pray that as we go about our weeks this week, you would give us the strength to do so. I pray that you would. Give us the ability to know and understand your word and be able to bring it to our neighbors and our loved ones and all those who do not know you. We ask this all in Jesus' name.